The world was my oyster, but where was the pearl? Who dreamed I would find it in one little girl? Yes, something was missing, but dreams do come true. That something is no one but you. Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, June 21st, 2020. My name is James Marino and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Masterworks, Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Good morning, Peter. Hi. And happy birthday. Thank you. God bless. <laughs> <laughs> also with us is Michael Bortantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and ed- editor of castalbumreviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at filespotphoto.com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. And happy birthday last week. I missed oh, that. thank you. <laughs> Rob Johnston uh, reminded me last week, and then I, f- I wrote it down and forgot it after I wrote it down in was going to mention it and I forgot it too. So happy birthday, Michael. So much. (laughs) So another trip around the sun and we are going to talk a little bit about uh, today is Father's Day. I think, uh, is it an international holiday or just a Hallmark holiday here in, in the States? I think, is it celebrated world over? I'm not sure. That's a good question. I don't know. I don't either. Huh. Do we have any uh, Father's Day references in any uh, Broadway plays or other theatrical plays? There is a play called Father's, Father's Day, Day, yeah, which I'm not familiar with, but I know that there, it exists. Yeah, it, um, it ran one performance when it was first produced, I believe, and uh, then got a revival at the American Place Theater, I believe. And um, I know a lot of people like it quite a bit. There's um, a song called Parents' Day from uh, the musical Moby Dick, which played London. Terrific score. I, I will say the show doesn't quite work. Um, I saw it in New Bedford, uh, Massachusetts, which makes sense because it is about Moby Dick, and that's where Moby Dick starts. Mm. And um, But I do recommend the score amazingly. Uh, it um, was recorded by RCA Victor uh, way back when, and uh, at a live performance, actually, uh, which I guess is cheaper to do. So, But it's a two-disc set, and I would say at least half the score is terrific. So, Parents' Day, one size fits all. Excellent. So, Moby Dick, uh, coming out of Boston, uh, is history repeating itself with Dave, Dave Malloy's American right. Theater? Yeah, I saw the first act. Now, this doesn't mean I walked out because I thought it was terrible. Yeah, I remember, I, yeah. Yeah, I walked out because I had to be somewhere, um, and I only had time for an act. Um, but um, but I thought it was quite good and quite imaginative. So, uh, But I can't be more specific than that. <laughs> uh, interesting set. I saw photographs of the set up oh, at the yeah. Repertory. Very oh. interesting set, yeah. uh, making you feel like uh, you're in a production of Pinocchio, maybe. <laughs> well, also, uh, at one point, if you wanted to, you could volunteer to get in little boats, little, little dinghies, and uh, be uh, dragged around the stage. I remember that happening. By a guy in a mask? <laughs> Uh, no, no, no. That's where they drew the line. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that happened too. So I do remember. 
So, Peter, why don't we start off with uh, trivia for this week? Do you have an answer for last week's trivia? Sure. Um, it was a very, very interesting uh, situation because I don't think I made myself as clear as I could have been. Um, because um, what I meant to say, and I don't think I did, was that uh, Francis Scott Key's first five words from the Star Spangled Banner would be referenced in the 1962 Broadway musical, a 68 one and a 69 one. What are the musicals and the songs? So what I was getting at was all American a Strauss and Adams show from 62 uh, says, Oh, say, can you see in Meltus, uh, by the way, a terrific piece of ragtime music. I really like it. Hare's title song uh, says, Oh, say, can you see uh, my eyes? If you can, uh, my hair's too long. And 1776 says, Oh, say, do you see with the same melody of the star spangled banner in cool, cool, considerate men. So Tony Janicki was first followed by Sh- Cheryl Hodges, Selden, Stephen Bell, Paul Whitty, all of whom pointed out the Yankee Doodle Dandy, Yankee Doodle Boy from George M. from 68 has no say, can you see reference as well, which I didn't remember. Uh, Steve Bell actually taught me that all American doesn't say, oh, say, can you see, but oh, say, can't you see? And I would say in more than 50 years of listening to that score, I've never noticed that. It sent me to the script of the show, uh, which does live in my apartment, and he's absolutely right. Oh, say, can't you see? So um, Jack Leshner was next, followed by Brigadood, Greg Christensen, Richard Carey, Cheryl Hodges Selden um, mentioned, gave another uh, reference, and that's why I'm mentioning her twice, and Mike Meany who got here in 1776, but pointed out there was an off-Broadway musical called Oh Say Can You See in 1962. So that counts a lot as well. It has, by the way, a terrific song called Someone a Lot Like You. This was a show that was recorded and wasn't quite released. And many years later, uh, a small label put it out. And if you can find it, it's on CD now. Uh, If you can find it, it's really a a very nice score. Okay, this week's question. The 1970 British musical, Sing a Rude Song. Okay, don't get nervous. This is going to be easier than you think. All right? I'm out. The 1970 British musical, Sing a Rude Song, has one song that mentions the title character of a Tony-winning musical. Not that the lyricist tried to reference the character of that show, mind you. No, 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 no. However, the, uh, he just mentioned the character's name to make a different point. Now, I don't expect everyone to have the original London cast album of Sing a Rude Song, worthy though it is, because it's never been transferred from LP to CD. But I will say that if you go on YouTube and type in Sing a Rude Song, no, you won't get the entire original London cast album, but you will find a few songs there, one of which mentions this character. So give a little listen and give me the song's name, and the title character of the Tony-winning musical. And really, your life won't suffer from hearing ditties from Sing a Rude Song. It's a musical about Marie Lloyd, who was the (laughs) undisputed queen of the British music hall as the 19th century turned into the 20th. There you go. All right. If you have an answer to that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com, and we'll let you know if you're on the right track. So the Queen of the British Music Hall reminds me that uh, Cameron McIntosh has made an announcement this week that his West End theaters, he owns a number of West End theaters, will be closed uh, through 2020 into 2021 right now for an earliest uh, relaunch there. And yet we still have uh, we have lots of information around um, around the country and around the world about the theater scene, but none from Broadway. It's a, it's a virtual crickets. Um, 
here. And so we still don't know anything about the Tony Awards, and we still don't know about what plans are to reopen Broadway uh, from the league. Certainly, Actors' Equity and the other unions have talked about what what needs to happen, but we haven't heard from the people who can actually flip the switch. So uh, interesting about... Um, Cameron McIntosh and the West End, and also interesting that in uh, South Korea, there's um, a, a lot of theater reopening. Mm. Um, yes. And in Seoul, South Korea, they had their first uh, coronavirus case the same day as the United States had their first coronavirus case, and they are reopening right now. So uh, it's all we can do is wait and see to see what's going to happen to our our beloved theater. Um, as I mentioned, it, it's uh, Father's Day, and so we thought we'd talk about various different uh, fathers who have shown up in uh, theatrical shows as characters. So, Peter, who are some of your favorite fathers? Well, what was really interesting was uh, when looking up uh, fathers, um, they don't seem to dominate nearly as much as mothers. Michael, did you find that as well, that there were far fewer fathers than mothers um, in musicals? Well, I didn't do an exhaustive search, as, as you, you're always so good at. <laughs> but uh, I did come up with a, a lot uh, just off of the sort of off of the top of my head. I was actually a little surprised at how many I came up with. Oh, I, really? also, yeah. I also did um, just even thought of some plays, uh, though I didn't certainly go exhaustively into those. Um, but I, I'm, sure I, I'm, I, I, I'm sure you're right. I just, as I say, I... I I, I did it much less formally than I'm sure you did. I'm going to start with uh, Jackie from um, Billy Elliot, because he's a man who has been mm. on strike and um, he has been so rabid about being on strike and not going back to work till he, till he, he and all his and his son and um, all the people he works with get what they truly deserve. And he won't go back to work, except he does when he sees that his son needs him to so that he can afford the tuition to go to school, to ballet school. And this is really something considering the fact, of course, that this is not a ballet loving family and uh, ballet is even considered uh, rather frivolous and, and worse by, um, by Jackie and his family. And uh, when he's willing to go back to work just to do that for his son, this has got to be a great father. Um, I, I think all of us wish we had a father like that. I, I hope many of us did, but I suspect many of us didn't. And um, it's a wonderful thing. Uh, that's the best thing about fathers, um, uh, the best aspect they can have, and that is sacrifice, that they do give up uh, to make sure that their kids have better lives. And Jackie did that. So that's one that may not immediately come to mind because it's not a showy part. Um, it's certainly not a part that's going to get a, a Tony nomination, no matter who plays it. But it's a great character. Hmm. Michael, how about you? Well, first, let me say, I think that's a great choice, Peter. Uh, and also because on top of everything you said, the thing, of course, that Billy is, is going into is ballet, yeah. which is not a part of this yeah. man's world no, whatsoever, no. Yeah. but he's so supportive of it. Um, and that, yeah, that's a really great character. And I think the kind of person we'd all like to have as a father, mm -hmm. um, I think the uh, the the one that leapt immediately to my mind was Tevye and Fiddler on the Roof. Mm -hmm. um, you know what a 
amazingly wonderful character. We we see his relationships with his five daughters, uh, three of them in, in quite in in detail, and how uh, he's doing his best to raise them in near poverty and uh, against pretty you know pretty heavy odds and uh, lots of stuff going around uh, on in in their world and the world changing very very rapidly um and this gives me another opportunity to extol the the recent uh production in yiddish for the national y- yiddish theater folks being a production that started at the museum of jewish heritage and then moved off broadway and was a huge success uh i think it allowed people to appreciate the show uh, almost anew in a whole new light mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Uh, you know uh, because first of all hearing it in yiddish also it was so so well cast and well directed by Joel Gray Terrific. and that that beautiful performance by Steven Skybell as Tevya which mm-hmm. will live with me forever i, I mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. he had universal acclaim and and deservedly so i had had the uh, cast album for some time uh but i had it only digitally and just recently i got it um from the producer himself robert Sher, uh in hard copy form and it's so well produced in terms of the packaging mm-hmm. uh it's got the recording itself is so wonderful including uh, uh it's a very complete recording of the score uh but also including several songs that were cut from the original production and they they were recorded in english by a, a bunch of really really great names including the original model <laughs> um uh austin pendleton so it's it's spectacular in that way but then also the booklet is uh, a very very thick beautiful booklet with lots of color photos of the production that you don't often see um, in those kinds of booklets, I think, because it can be prohibitively expensive. But this is um, a Time Life recording, by the way. And it seems like they had a really, really good budget for it, and they absolutely did it proud. It's... um, I'm glad that they were the company that wound up doing it because if it was another company, it might not be so elaborate. Uh, The booklet is really wonderful. It includes essays by James Gavin, first of all, who, as far as I know, doesn't often write about uh, musical theater so much. He he's very well known as a writer about uh, jazz and pop and Ameri- great American songbook, but he has a wonderful essay. And then there's one by John Marins, the playwright who wrote the Temperamentals, among other things, and a uh, note from Joel Gray, and also, as I say, lots of photos. So that um, I highly recommend that recording. And if you can get it in hard copy form I, I would say it's absolutely worth it i'm i have um drastically uh cut down on the number of recordings that i do get as cds uh, i get uh, i i would say the majority of them as you know as digital downloads today but this is this is one i think where you can really make an exception and as far as fathers in theater go i i I do think Tevya hmm. is really, really at kind of at the top of the heap as far as how beautifully the character is written, uh, based, of course, I should say, on the uh, original stories by Sholem Aleichem, uh, and then 
adapted so wonderfully to the musical stage by Joseph Stein, who wrote the book for Fiddler, and then, of course, Bach and Harnick, who wrote the amazing, amazing music and lyrics. Well, the thing, too, about Tevi that's so wonderful is when his daughter challenges him and says, is, is the promise you made to Laser Wolf more important than your daughter? Mm-hmm. And he immediately responds, and um, he is going to make that girl happy. And also, he uh, remember, too, that uh, when he finds out that there is someone in, uh, who's arrived in town who can teach his daughters to read, he has them do it, even though, of course, uh, in those days, girls were discouraged uh, from reading. There was no need, quote unquote, for girls to read. So uh, so that was significant as well. So, yes, he really he was certainly on my list as um, as wonderful fathers. And while we're in uh, the Jewish milieu, I'll also mention Meyer Rothschilds from the Rothschilds. Uh, to me, the Rothschilds, and of course, this is a Bach and Harnick score as well. To me, the Rothschilds were one of the great underrated musicals of all time. And Meyer Rothschilds, from the very beginning, wants Sons. There's a big song called Sons in which we actually experience, as time goes on, it, it telescopes a lot of time, um, many years, because he starts out wanting a son, and by the end, he has five. And he's very happy about that because he knows that he wants allies, not just to get rich. And that's what people always misunderstand about the Rothschild. This is not a story about people who want to make a pile and live in a big house and take great vacations. It's nothing. What he wants to do is liberate the Jewish people who are terribly oppressed in in the ghetto in Frankfurt and beyond. And that's what he knows money can do. And that's why he wants it. And that's why he wants his sons as allies. There's also a terrific joke, by the way, in the son's song. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I will say it has to do with repetition. And uh, by all means, if you don't know the score of the Rothschilds, make sure you do. And this is a father, uh, along with uh, these two fathers, by the way, um, whose characters were played by men who won Tony Awards. Um, Zero Marcel, of course, for Fiddler. And Hal Linden, who had become famous years later on TV. And well, ironically enough, just last night, um, my girlfriend Linda and I watched the 1971 uh, Tonys, um, the 70, 71 Tonys, where Hal Linden got the award for um, mm. best actor <clears throat> in a musical. And it was so interesting when the season began, everybody thought Danny Kay was going to get it because he was coming back to Broadway um, after close to 30 years. And he was going to be in two by two where he played a father and um, he's a more intractable father, by the way. Um, it, I listening though, to it again, um, the nominees for, for best music and best lyrics, there were two categories that year not just best score, music and lyrics, won by, no surprise, Stephen Sondheim for Company. But the other nominees were um, the Rothschilds and the Me Nobody Knows. Worthy scores both. But frankly, um, it's too bad that Danny Kaye did all those um, crazy um, antics while doing two by two, because really it got lost in the mix that um, this was a good score, If even if people felt disappointed by Richard Rodgers' music. I will go to bat for Martin Sharon's lyrics, Now Till the Day I Die. I think they're extraordinarily clever in so many ways and so incisive in so many ways um, that he should have at least gotten a nomination, even if they didn't want to give it to Richard Rogers, which surprises me that they didn't. But anyway, um, yes, um, Maya Rothschilds from um, the Rothschilds is a terrific, terrific father. Um, what's also interesting when I was looking for fathers was how many people who weren't really biological fathers turned out to be very good fathers. And uh, that includes Serbia, of course, from Gypsy, um, who really 
at the end of the first act says, uh, we have our daughter or whatever the line is, but he, he refers to Louise as our daughter. And um, he's really ready to make that happen. He does mm-hmm. love her. And it's the way that um, Rose treats her towards the end of um, the show when uh, she is willing to put her on stage and have her strip that's anathema to Herbie. Um, so he really um, is somebody who is very much on her side. Of course, there's Daddy Warbucks and Annie, um, and Annie Warbucks for that matter, who um, it, it turns um, out to be a really terrific uh, father. And I am so sorry that the original cast album doesn't have the lyrics at the end of You Won't Be an Orphan for Long, because it's so poignant when uh, he vows that he's going to find Annie's parents for her, even though he wants to be the father, he has really fallen in love with her. And she says, no, I really want my real parents. And that stings him so much. And yet he loves her so much that he will uh, find them for her. And the lyrics, again, Martin Sharnan, uh, what a thing to occur, finding them losing her. And I mean, that's really uh, quite wonderful. And I, I really think the, those lyrics should be on the album. So um, Jean Valjean. And Les Mis becomes a surrogate father as well um, to Fantine's baby, to Cosette. And, mm. uh, and so it's, it's really quite a few. I'll, I'll let Michael uh, chime in here with uh, a few of his others. Uh, uh, but uh, um, those are just a few. Um, and, well, the three from Mamma Mia, too, um, <laughs> and, and Carmelina. Um, you know, they, they become quite um, enamored of uh, what might be their daughter and might not. <laughs> So, Michael, what else is on your list? Well, continuing the biblical theme that Peter uh-huh. started with Noah, um, there's Children of Eden, uh, which is maybe not the most well-known show in the world, but I really like that score. And I, uh, and also continuing, uh, Peter referenced uh, in his trivia question, Googling, uh, uh, going to YouTube to find a, a London cast album. Um, they, there is a wonderful London cast album of Children of Eden that apparently was out of print um, for years. There, If I understand correctly there was some odd problem with the pressings oh of the yeah <laughs> yeah it doesn't play and yeah um and so that was out of print for years but now is absolutely complete on youtube in state-of-the-art sound so that's something really special to listen to uh, uh and largely because aside from everything else ken page plays the role of father uh i.e. God. And he, you know, he's got a beautiful voice and he's one of our best, most wonderful artists. So that's something really special. Uh, Children of Eden is a a story of the first part is is basically the the Garden of Eden story with God and Adam and Eve. And then the, the second part is basically the Noah, the story of Noah and the Ark. And it's about, um, but it's all done in very human terms. Uh, in terms of the, the kind of problems that occur to real people in real families, uh, conflicts and uh, uh, rebellion and, you know, all of that, every, everything. Uh, for, uh, the character in Children of Eden is called Father. So he is framed very much that way in terms of a, of a, of a human father with human children. And I guess, you know, you could say that to a large extent, that's true of the Bible itself. I mean, that's the whole point of the Bible, right? To tell 
um, to tell this story in terms to which humans can relate. So um, I do think there's a lot of wonderful, wonderful music in Children of Eden. And if you don't know it, you might want to check it out. Uh, if you do know uh, the later version, there's a, there's a wonderful recording also of the paper mill production, a two CD recording, uh, more complete recording uh, that I would recommend also. And if you know the show from that, you might be surprised because there are quite a few changes from the original, including uh, Stephen Schwartz is, I think, uh, pretty well known for having second thoughts on uh, lots of his songs. Uh, it seems to me I, I've mostly experienced that in terms of lyrics, but sometimes the music as well. And um, in this case, I would say he vastly improved the song uh, Lost in the Wilderness uh, for his second thoughts. It's, uh, as it turned out, I think it's, it's much more effective and passionate and, and very thrilling uh, as compared to the original version that you'll hear if you do find the London cast album, but it's still very interesting to hear, uh, to hear both versions. And I think it's great that that London cast album is available after apparently not being available for so long. Yeah. Mine stopped working very early on. Uh, I saw the show in London and uh, liked it quite a bit and mm. uh, you're right. It has been substantially reworked. Well, um, one of the most delightful things about the paper mill production um recording is um, on uh, the second disc um, return of the animals. It's an, uh, simply a, an orchestral uh, piece. And I, I think it's just enchanting. And I remember staying Steve Schwartz. Um, so what, what, what is that? Is that a gavotte? And um, he looked at me as if so disappointed that I didn't know what it was. And he said, no, a bore. So in case you're wondering, that's what it is. And I do recommend everybody listening to um, the return of the animals on Children of Eden. So, uh, uh, by the way, uh, uh, a detour, since uh, Michael has talked about two cast albums, I want to talk about one, too, that um, I don't think has any fathers in it, or if they are fathers, we don't know them as fathers. And Something's Afoot, a musical I saw at Goodspeed in the 70s, uh, took a while to get to Broadway. Um, uh, Tessie O'Shea, who made a big splash in The Girl Who Came to Supper and won a Tony for that, was the leading lady. I saw Mary Jo Catlett, uh, who was uh, a vital cast member of the original production of Hello, Dolly. But it's, uh, it's a murder mystery musical, and uh, that's the whole point of it. Um, there's even a song uh, called I Owe It All to Agatha Christie. And uh, one of the reasons that um, Agatha Christie has been so popular um, they get all those references in there, all the things it, it's most, if we have to look at one Agatha Christie work, it's closest to, and then there were none, um, a, a, a terrific um, idea for a, a, a show and um, a play that has been done here and there, uh, still done a lot in community theater and uh, where people all gather in um, on an Island, they get an invitation to go and uh, they find out once they get there that um, somebody has accused each one of them of, of murder and that each one of them will die. Mm. So, um, so it's a terrific. And so this is a spoof on that. And uh, an interest, interesting statistic is that um, the Bible has sold the most copies in the world. Uh, Shakespeare's plays are in second place. And in third place are the books by Agatha Christie. <laughs> 
So right. I, w- I would really think that um, the Somethings Afoot would uh, do better than it did. It only ran 61 performances on Broadway. Uh, Gary Beach was in it, and I'll never forget Gary Beach, who later would want to win a Tony for the producers and left us too soon, I'm sorry to say. Very nice guy. Anyway, um, I, I'll never forget being in the TKTS booth uh, line, and there he was handing out flyers. He really wanted to save his show. and um, But unfortunately... It didn't uh, do well, um, and the producers um, just um, gave up very quickly. And it's surprising because one of them was Manny Eisenberg, uh, who did the Neil Simon plays, and perhaps Neil Simon had something he wanted done, and uh, Manny gave up too quickly. But anyway, the point is they didn't get a cast album then. And for years, people have said, why is there a cast album? I know people who have seen the show in community theater. I, I know three people who saw this show in community theater and went back the following weekend to see it again. Um, so it's a very, very revered property in, in the hinterlands and certainly needed a cast album. And finally, finally, John Yap uh, was able to get a cast together, including Jim Dale, who makes a very interesting appearance. That's all I'll say uh, on the album. And um, so it's now available. So I apologize for the Father's Day detour, but nevertheless, um, it's it's great, great fun. Uh, when you have a song with a title like The Man with the Ginger Mustache, uh, you, you know, you're not dealing with uh, people who uh, don't know the territory. And uh, one of the writers um, uh, who provided some of the music was Ed Linderman. And I don't know if you know Ed's uh, Broadway jukebox that he uh, used to do from time to time. And I hope he does again, Uh, a wonderful guy. And what he does is simply um, have the audience choose from a sheet of paper in which he gives the names of shows, what uh, song they want to hear. And uh, you do wind up hearing wonderful uh, songs. My, my girlfriend was not familiar with useful phrases from sail away and she fell in love with it as a result of Ed Lindemann's doing it. So, uh, so he's one of the writers on this project. And uh, while we haven't heard of too many of the others, they did a good job and it's a very, very entertaining album. And the sound is terrific by the way. So even that. Hmm. So, uh, Michael, any, uh, far out obscure ones that we should uh think about oh uh yeah well um i was thinking that one of the most beautiful songs about a father is actually from closer than ever it's called if i sing Mm -hmm. and since closer and ever closer than ever is a review so uh there's not it's not an actual character of a father but um do you both know that song? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, uh, it's a, just a gorgeous song. Uh, my father's pride was in his hands. The piano was his soul. I watched and wondered as he played show tunes miles off from rock and roll. What he loved, he taught me. Now music's what I do. And often when I'm writing in my hands, dad's there too. Mm-hmm. If I sing, you are the music. If I fly, you're why I'm good. If my hands can find some magic, you're the one who said they could. When the child who's still inside me finds a song in empty air, when there is joy in making music, it is you who put it there. I, I think that's so beautiful. I, I have never actually looked it up. Uh, can we assume that David Shire was writing about his father? Uh, Richard Mulpey. Oh, Richard. Well, Richard. Sorry. Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, Thank you. Um, Yeah, it sounds so 
autobiographical. Well, uh, certainly I know that he has two daughters, uh, both of whom went their way into the business, Emily and Charlotte, and uh, lovely girls, by the way. And uh, so uh, he knows from experience. And don't forget, he wrote Baby, which has a song called The Fatherhood Blues, a very smart idea for a song. The whole concept of the song is when you find out your wife is pregnant, you start worrying, oh, my God, you know, where are we going to get the money? Oh, my God, what do we, uh, we need a new room in the house. Oh, my God, I'm going to have to buy all this stuff uh, when the kid gets older. But you feel kind of proud that you were able to do it. And, uh, and that's a very, uh, very smart idea. Another father I want to mention is Nat Miller, originally created by Eugene O'Neill, who mm-hmm. certainly had issues with his father, as we know from Long Day's Journey into Night. But um, the one comedy one and only comedy that Eugene O'Neill wrote was Our Wilderness, and um, it showed the family, as he often said, the family I wish I had. And Nat Miller is the editor of the small town paper, and his son Richard uh, has fallen in love with the girl next door, Muriel, and her father gets wind of the fact that uh, Richard is writing, uh, (laughs) he's replicating poems by Omar Khayyam and all that, and uh, the father uh, of the girl is scandalized and just refuses his daughter to see him anymore and, and tells off. Um, Richard's father, played by Walter Pidgeon, a very famous actor of the 30s in his, I think, one and only musical. And um, Nat stands up for his son, which is really quite wonderful. Um, And and, uh, sings a wonderful song about how he's staying young. And I've mentioned many times that um, the the reprise of that song is one of the greatest uh, reprises, if not the greatest reprise ever in the history of the Broadway theater. So, uh, so, but it's so nice to see him stand up for his son. And that brings me to a play by Terrence Rattigan called The Winslow Boy, which is about a father who, um, you remember Captain Von Trapp at the beginning of uh, Sound of Music, you know, he's, he's a terror and, you know, uh, well, this guy is too. He's a real terror. He's a strict disciplinarian. And when his kid is found, is accused of uh, of, a, of a crime, in essence, um, the father says to him, did you do it? And when the kid says no, he staunchly backs up the kid. And you don't think he's going to from the way what you've seen of him, because he's such a tough guy. You really think that he's going to whip the kid into submission. But no, he turns out to be a great father who's going to be 100% behind his kid because he believes his kid did not lie to him. And um, wonderful play, The Winslow Boy uh, by Terrence Radigan and um, Mm. the father that came to mind as a result of uh, Ned Miller. I wonder if Mr. Darling and Peter Pan is going to turn out to be uh, a good father now that all these kids from Neverland have arrived at his home (laughs) and he's going to adopt them all. Uh, Gee, that's the sequel I would like to see how does it work out um, with uh, with all the kids that show up uh, at the Darling home and um, Mr. Darling in a moment of weakness and prodded by his wife who, d- who doesn't see any problems with this says okay we'll take them all well that's a good question isn't it <laughs> so Peter I think I have- I'm sorry uh, I, I think it's Nat Miller isn't it yeah what did I say Ned oh I thought you said Ned yeah uh, I might have I might have yeah. but anyway it is Nat yeah yeah so speaking of Nat Miller uh, in in Our Wilderness, uh, did Jackie Gleason get a song and take me along? 
Oh yeah, but he oh. wasn't the father. Uh, uh-huh. He was he was the drunk uncle. The um, uncle. <laughs> yeah, the father's brother. Um, it, that's a very small part in the original uh, play, but it was expanded uh, for Jackie Gleason. This is a magnificent score. Ironically enough, I just listened to it last night, um, and once again was amazed by how beautiful the music is when it has to be, and how just up tempo the songs are, are great as well i i was always disappointed that the title song became the um theme song for the nixon re-election campaign in uh-huh. 1972 but uh, nixon's the one scans perfectly with take me along but uh anyway um it, it's it's a phenomenal score and i really recommend everybody getting it um and it also has one of the great overtures of all time and um What's really interesting about the overture too is there are very few overtures where you hear where you hear a piano and a piano essentially is the main instrument that suddenly there's a piano riff, and um, it's for that song staying young, and that's kind of um, atypical. But boy, is it a good overture and a wonderful recording. So, um, if Jackie, if Jackie. Uh Gleason. Gleason, I almost said Robinson. If Jackie <laughs> Gleason had stayed around, uh, would we have seen him as a uh, a replacement Noah somewhere later in his career <laughs> in uh, two by two? Uh, I guess so. Uh, he certainly did, he certainly didn't enjoy uh, doing uh, Broadway. He had terrible yeah. times with David Merrick. Um, they 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 fought cat and dog. Uh, uh, the fame, it started off badly because, of course, what he said was, um, "Whatever the highest salary has been on Broadway, I must get a dollar more. Uh, I have to be the person who gets the most money for appearing on Broadway." And um, David Merrick was notorious mm. um, <laughs> cheap. Is that the word we're looking for? Mm. Um, so this is so right off where, but they, they battled, um, tooth and nail. And yet we have to admit that when Jackie Gleason left the cast and William Bendix, if you know who that actor is, he played Babe Ruth in a movie in the forties, mm. um, took over business was not good and it's too bad. The show ran over a year, but uh, I think it could have run longer, but it's a, it's a terrific score and it wasn't going to win the score that, uh, Tony that year, because that was here of sound of music, Fiorello. And Gypsy, so uh, and Once Upon a Mattress, all very good scores. You know, so uh, that was a, a tough year to uh, make decisions. Tough year. Were either one of you going to uh, talk a little bit about falsettos? Well, I don't know if he's a good father. I, I, but there's you know. two fathers. <laughs> yeah, right. For sure. The same child. Sure. Good point. In fact, there may even be three. Three or how, four. How, how <laughs> you look at it, you know, because um, Wizard. Wizard, yeah, Wizard turns out to be quite a nice guy. I, I did think about this, and you know, I, it, it's so hard. I mean, I had a to do um, with um, one of our listeners um, who said to me that um, I made a big mistake on Mother's Day because um, I didn't mention uh, some really tough mothers. And I said, well, uh, you know, Mother's Day is a celebration of mothers, you know, (laughs) flowers, chocolate, restaurants. And uh, I don't think it's time to celebrate um, the ones who aren't very nice. And um, and he said to me that he would have never limited himself to admirable mothers because 49 percent of mothers are below average. And um, I said, well, you know, if that's the case, 49% was an F where I went to school. So I don't know if that's your, so, um, and he said, well, people love a lot of the mothers in that 49%, but that's what the family should be. The domain of freely given unearned love, 
I guess you weren't taught that everyone deserves love. Well, okay, then let's celebrate Mr. Wormwood from Matilda, who <laughs> berates his child every chance he gets and points out that he really wanted another son because he refuses to acknowledge that she's a girl. She has to mention that. Uh, he certainly scorns the way she lives her life. Uh, why are you reading when you could be watching television? Um, so, um, uh, in honor of this listener who feels that no matter what the person is, as long as the sperm reached the egg, uh, the father should be celebrated. So here's to you, Mr. Wormwood. Um, however, you know, I'm much more impressed by somebody, uh, another surrogate father, and that's, um, Elliot Garfield in The Goodbye Girl, uh, who really comes to love um, Paula's daughter, which is really quite. And we sh we have to mention Mufasa in The Lion King, who is just so level-headed the way he deals with his son. By the time he dies, it is really our tragedy, too, and we really feel for him. Uh, we know what a loss that there is there as a result of that, um, that he is such a great father. Jerry in um, The Full Monty, too great, great uh, father, works so hard, is going to do this strip act so he can get the money so that he can still see, keep seeing his son. And uh, it's a very important value to him. And it's, it's really quite, 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 quite moving to see this man going to any lengths. And it's so nice, too, by the way, the relationship the kid has with his father. Uh, needless to say, Jerry has fallen on tough times because he's lost his job, as is most everybody in town when the plant shut down. And the kid has such empathy for that. I think September 9th is Children's Day. Maybe we can uh, use, um, I think that's what it is. Anyway, there must be a Children's Day, although as many parents always like to say, every day is Children's Day, you know, because of course they sacrifice so much for their kids. But, but the thing is that um, it's so wonderful to see Jerry's kids so supportive of him and realize he's going through a hard time. And it's not all about what about me. It's uh, it's it's something that really takes to heart that his father's going through hard times. He grows up very fast. Thank you for bringing up the subject of the the, the problematic fathers because it's funny. I I was trying to think of some from plays specifically, non musical plays, and it seems like most of the ones that leapt into my head are uh, very very <laughs> uh, questionable. Um, uh, uh, many people feel that the greatest role ever written for any male in history is King Lear and look at, you know, what happens to him. He is just makes a terrific mistake in, uh, casting his fortunes with two of his daughters who profess to love him deeply. And it turns out that that's absolutely not the case. And meanwhile, he rejects the daughter who really does love him, but is just not prone to, uh, effusive flattery and, and, and resents being on the spot when she's asked to profess her love for him because she thinks it's just an empty exercise. Uh, that is a, certainly a, a fellow who, well, I mean, he's supposed to be quite elderly and I, I think we're meant to think that maybe he's losing his faculties. So that's his excuse, uh, quote unquote, but that's a very, very uh, questionable uh, father, and then um, another one I came up with was Big Daddy in mm. Had on a Hot yeah. Tin Roof, who is really, you know, quite a reprehensible character, 
except that um, I guess a mitigating factor is that you do see that he's he does love his son Brick, and he's very very concerned, very concerned that Brick uh, seems so troubled and is um, falling into severe alcoholism. So that's a very rich character, and then of course. Um, We've discussed not too long ago Willie Loman in Death of mm. a Salesman, who uh, just because of the the exigencies of his life and and uh, his increasingly difficult situation in terms of his career, et cetera, et cetera, is really on quite a downward spiral. And it's obvious how much he loves his sons, but uh, there's a lot. Uh, tremendous amount of dysfunction there um so that's another amazing character it is it it seems to me just at first blush that the father characters um in plays tend to be a lot more uh problematic and more towards the quote-unquote bad scale uh, end of the scale than in musicals um I, i you know i'm sure there are many exceptions but that that's my first my first thought here and just thinking them over. Um, and then we should mention uh, <laughs> the uh, title character in what is still the longest running play in Broadway history, life with mm, father, mm. which we've also discussed before. I, I do hope that and wish that there might be a revival of that at some point, because it, you know, it is so, uh, so significant in having run from, November 8th, 1939 to July 12th, 1947, 3,224 performances. Um, I, I don't think it will be revived because, as I've said, it, 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 the humor of it is so uh, – it's lovely and sweet, but very, very dated and I think too gentle maybe by present-day standards. Also, there's a lot of production problems you have to have uh, – all of these kids in it and they have to look like brothers and uh there's spend a lot of hair dye because there's a lot of jokes about red hair right Um, (laughs) seriously the kids just have to had hair dyed uh, quite a bit um anna kraus who um was married to russell kraus one of the co-authors of life with father Years ago, um, we were at the um, the uh, embassy at Luxembourg where they were doing a, a benefit of Call Me Madam, which um, indeed uh, Russell Crowe co-wrote the book to that, uh, said to me, it will never get done again because people just cannot understand who that father is anymore. Mm. Um, and it was funny, when I was a high school teacher, uh, Life with Father was in the textbooks and we read it. So there's a scene where um, one of the boys wants to go to work. And he gets a job selling medicine door to door. And he doesn't realize the medicine is for dogs, not for people. And when his mother is sick, he gives right. her the medicine. And the mother gets deathly ill. And it looks like she's going to um, actually die. That, that's a real big thing in the play. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's taken very seriously. And, um, and when they find out it's dog medicine, the father says, you gave your mother dog medicine? And I mean the way this play is to be directed, this kid really believes his life is over, that his father's going to kill him on the spot. He's so afraid of this man who, again, think Captain Von Trapp, if you don't know the play. So anyway, but the kid reading it, I'll never forget his name was Mark Allman said, it wasn't dog medicine, father, you know, like you, you idiot, you know, I mean, and uh, that's not the way that kid Mm. would react. But the kid in 1970s, 
couldn't even perceive that the father was such a, a tyrant that uh, <laughs> that it was was a man who was the be all and end all. He just couldn't relate to it. So I think Anna Krauss had a point. Um, it, I, I, I do suspect we will see it done just for old time's sake, and that somebody will think it will be fun to do just on that level. If not, there's a very faithful uh, movie version yes. um, that uh, really adheres to the script uh, tremendously close. And uh, so, if you have a curiosity about Life with Father, there is that movie in which. Um, uh, Elizabeth Taylor makes an appearance um, early on in her career. Um, the oh, King and a I. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? No, it's a wonderful movie. Yeah, The King and I. Um, he's a good father. I mean, he uh, he certainly is the one with the most children, as we see uh, in, <laughs> in the March of the Siamese Children. Um, but you can tell that he has great affection and um, for them. And not only that, um, he's really, of course, very interested in Prince Chula Longhong, who will succeed him. And I was listening to the 77 revival cast album the other day. Um, and what this has that I don't believe many recordings have, I'm not saying that I'm an expert on King and I recordings, but the final scene where that boy has to become king and the advice that he gets from his father Yul Brenner, of course, mm. um, is on the album, and it's a very effective scene. And for that matter, the end of Act One, in which um, he, uh, the king, finally promises Anna a house, as he says, you know, <laughs> sounding like a, a harried husband who's just giving in because you're driving me crazy with uh, this request day after day. Uh, it's a very human moment. Those two scenes are pretty much on the Revival Cast album, the 1977 Revival Cast album, which is considered mm -hmm. by many to be the best one of them all. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, um, yeah, it, it, you might feel differently, but um, that is the prevailing attitude from people I have talked to over the years. So. Well, Peter mentioned uh, Captain Von Trapp in passing. Maybe we should spend a little more time on sure. it because that is one of the most famous musicals ever written. And such an interesting character, especially because... Uh, aside from everything else, apparently really nothing to do with the historical character no. in terms of that whole uh, setup that we see in the show, which I, I, you know, as far as I know, speaking of Howard Lindsay and Russell Krauss, <laughs> yeah, right. I, I didn't sure. even plan that yeah, segue, sure. uh, wrote mm. the book for the stage version. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, one of the rare, rare cases where Oscar Hammerstein himself did not write the book. Mm -hmm. And I guess they came up, they realized that they needed a conflict. Uh, I mean, if, if this young woman shows up at this house and is uh, immediately welcomed with open arms, and if th it's a wonderful family relationship to begin with, that she's coming in to, to be governess, Where's the, you know, where's the drama? Where's the story? Where's the conflict? So they created this situation where the captain is very, very distant from his children and very much an authoritarian. Uh, and there a little bit, just a tiny bit of, um, you know, backstory explanation that this is because his, his wife is dead and he took her death very, very hard. And he sort of... Um, closed up in that sense emotionally and we're told that uh before you know, when his wife was still alive it was a happy family and there was lots of music in the house but then uh the captain forbid it after that because it reminded uh him too much of his his dead wife so maria comes in and reintroduces music to the house and and in the process really you know uh, affects a a, a, a 
renewal of the affection and the love between the captain and his children. And, and then they become uh, an extended family. And it's a, just a beautiful story that uh, that aspect of it seems to have been created from whole cloth by, by Lindsay and Krauss. What's also interesting to me about the sound of music <clears throat> is the fact that Edelweiss uh, was written late in the process. Mm. It was written in Boston when they were out of town. And, um, and when you think of it, that's not much of a part if you don't have Edelweiss. Uh, it's, it's amazing that they hired Theodore Bacall, who was very well known as a singer, had had many albums that had been um, produced over the years, um, mostly of uh, folk songs in other languages. But to hire a, a guy who was known for his singing rather than his acting, not that he hadn't been in some movies and uh, plays, yes, he had, but and and then not to immediately think, well, we got to give him a song uh, from that that would show up early in the. Uh, but it wasn't until late that Edelweiss came in. Uh, it's often said to be the last song that uh, Oscar Hammerstein ever wrote. So, uh, but it's always surprised me that um, even for that matter, that Theodore would Bacall would take the role without having really a song of his own. Yes, he does come in um, in, in uh, No Way to Stop It, and he sings The Sound of Music uh, a bit when the kids sing it. Um, but not to have a song of his own, um, I'm surprised he took the part. Well, that is so interesting. I, of course, he's also got an ordinary couple, but not much in that either. Yeah, that's true. Um, that... Uh, I mean, I would say generally that that was done very intentionally, uh, maybe not in terms of making the part attractive to a particular actor. No, no, but no. There but again, he, the progressive. He doesn't sing. Yeah. 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 That he uh, that this is something that is not part of his life anymore. And, and then it's reintroduced. It might be even more effective if the only thing he sang in the show was Edelweiss. Well, you know, this brings up the tap dance kid uh, in which there's also a very tough father and um, and he finally breaks loose at the end of the show, uh, the Edelweiss moment, so to speak. But he, he has a big harangue. It's a real uh, quite a harangue. And um, so I understand uh, the fact that, yes, that the Captain Von Trapp of the early sh part of the show doesn't sing. But my point is, I'm surprised they cast a singer. That's right. my point. You know, that yes. you would you would really feel that. Um, um, you know, like Barry Nelson, uh, who wasn't a singer, appeared in the musical The Act, but he didn't have a song. Um, uh, fine. You know, so you can cast an actor who uh, isn't um, a singer. Thomas Mitchell and Hazel Flagg won a Tony. He didn't have a song, but he obviously was very good in what he was doing. So uh, but um, uh, get that Bacal guy, you know, is is surprising <laughs> to me if, if you're not going to have him uh, sing. So uh, so that, that's where I'm coming from. Charlie Anderson from Shenandoah. Um, very much a good father, too, because he is not going to see his sons die for, for a cause that he doesn't believe in. And um, and would that that be the case for the entire show? But um, he will wind up um, suffering. Georges in um, Lacage, very good father. You can't say Alban because Alban really is the mother. <laughs> but um, but nevertheless, George really loves his son. And uh, even though it was a one night stand that produced this, um, it, and of course he has led uh, an unconventional life where most fathers are concerned, most fathers are concerned. Uh, the fact remains that um, it's not something that he regrets doing. You know, ah, I should have kept it in my pants that night. What was I thinking? No, no. Um, <laughs> he loves this boy and it's really quite wonderful that he does.
Uh, three more I would mention are Finian's Rainbow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a uh, good guy. Yeah, you know, his title character doesn't uh, have a lot to do musically, but uh, he really t- ties that show together. Um, uh, uh, an obscure, uh, relatively obscure one is Paint Your Wagon, mm, yeah. Ben Rumson. Yeah. And then we... Um, I, I think maybe I, the, the last one I'll, I'll have for my list is one that we should not fail to mention, which is Ragtime, where, of course, we have three fathers, mm-hmm. uh, and one one of whom is called father because he's so generic <laughs> um, that, uh, you know, he represents the, uh, I guess, the, um, uh, the white mm-hmm. the, the establishment. And then mm-hmm. we have Tate, who is from Latvia, and uh, if I understand correctly, that that name means father, uh, is a mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for father in in that language. Now, would that be Yiddish or? I think so. He's uh, from, yeah, he's mm-hmm. yeah, he's from Latvia, but uh, I think it's supposed to be Yiddish. And then, uh, of course, Kohlhaus, who is referred to, I believe, only as Daddy, uh, and primarily when. Uh, Sarah sings that incredible song. Mm. You, you know, you are your daddy's, daddy's son. son. Mm. But the, but that, there we see uh, three beautiful portraits of three very very different types of fathers. Well, they're different in 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 some ways. They're they're from three different cultures worlds, yeah. and three different worlds. But then uh, you know, of course, there's the universality and the similarity. Um, among them, I said, well, at least uh, between Kohlhaus and Tata, father, I think, is um, is a you know a portrait of a very different type of person who is um, quite. I think we're supposed to see him as very out of touch and clueless for much of the show, but his growth uh, really t- towards the very end is. Uh, is a, an important part of that show, and I think very moving. And contrasted with the we other the other two fathers and the rest of the characters, it's a it's a wonderful story. I, I'm told that um, that the uh, film of Ragtime, which I've still never seen, concentrate mostly on the the Tata uh, story. Is that correct? I haven't seen it in a long, long time. And in fact, I was thinking of uh, watching it the other night because I, I listened to the um, Ragtime Light album, meaning mm, there was yeah. a, a pre-recording mm-hmm. um, one disc as opposed to two. And um, <clears throat> and if you want a Ragtime fix and you don't have that much time, uh, this is the way <laughs> to do it. Uh, so, uh, But I don't know the answer to that. Um, I don't remember uh, the movie well enough, though I, I can still see um, so many visual images from the movie. Um, this has nothing to do with the musical per se, but I think it's an interesting story. So I'll tell it. And that is the fact that I met Helen Doctorow, who was um, the author's wife and widow. And I said, um, what do you remember most about your husband? And she said, <clears throat> there wasn't a day in our marriage that I didn't want to kill him. All right. So <laughs> ma- <laughs> we all know that feeling. <laughs> Well, I, uh, as I say, I have not seen the movie. I think someone told me that, but regardless, um, even if that's that's not correct, the the point is that I think in the musical that Aaron's and Flaherty and Terrence McNally did such a beautiful job Absolutely. of giving equal weight to those three mm. stories and weaving oh. them together uh, musically uh, so beautifully. Just Wayne, so. Wayne Bryan, who runs Music Theater of Wichita, one of our most valuable regional theaters, uh, has been doing 
um, little presentations online. Uh, it's on YouTube. And um, he talked about Gone with the Wind, the musical version of Gone with the Wind, which never played Broadway. It uh, was a London show. And then it it was a Japanese show for that matter. Um, it started out as Scarlet in Japan, and then it went its way to London, where it was, of course, done in English. And then there was a, a pre-Broadway tryout that didn't make it into town. But um, he brought up the fact that he says, well, you know, it was so hard to do Gone with the Wind because it's such a big book. And I mean, there's so much in it. And there's so many characters. I mean, how can you possibly do it? And while Ragtime isn't quite Gone with the Wind, it has a similar problem. Mm-hmm. And yet these three writers licked it. They licked it. Yeah, they really did. So um, that's really something. You know, a musical that has never gotten its due, and I swear it's the title that's the problem, uh, is 110 in the Shade. Um, it, it's such an odd title for what uh, the show has to do um, with uh, the, the Rainmaker was the play it was based on. And um, the Rainmaker and Lizzie might have been a better title. I'm not saying that sounds like box office. I'll grant you that. But at least it would tell you uh, that uh, the show really does center on two people, uh, one of whom is um, Lizzie Curry, who is considered plain. That's the term they use endlessly throughout the show that she's plain. Even one of her brothers finally says to her, you're plain, face it. And he doesn't think that she'll ever get a man. And they try to entice File, that's his name, the sheriff in town, to uh, come over for dinner. And uh, and he knows what they're up to. And he says, no, I'm really not interested because he's been married once and his wife ran off. And, and he was so devastated by it that he actually pretends that his wife died. But everybody in town knows that she didn't. But they mm-hmm. let him have this story because they know uh, this is a way of his saving face. So anyway, File does like Lucy, but he just doesn't want to get involved with the woman again. He just doesn't trust women anymore. And out in town comes the rainmaker who's going to keep everything from being 110 in the shade because he can produce rain, he claims. And of course, Lizzie sees through him completely. And um, she's the one who really does doubt him, while even her father is willing to give $100 to uh, see that he can make rain. What the point I'm getting at, at the end of the show, both the rainmaker, Starbuck is his name. We have to wonder if his the water he makes is actually furbishing the uh, Starbuck chain. Uh, maybe that's uh, where they get mm-hmm. their water to make their coffee. Starbuck um, is it wants to, Lizzie to come away with him, and that spurs File to say, uh, "No, stay with me, Lizzie. Come with me, Lizzie. Stay with me, Lizzie." Mm-hmm. And she turns to her father and says, "Pop, what do I do?" And he says, "Well, whatever you do, Lizzie, you've been asked." <laughs> And that's so wonderful because here's a woman who never had anybody and now suddenly two men are fighting for her. And um, I'm not going to name the actress, but I remember um, an actress calling me and saying, Peter, I have this dilemma. There's a cable TV series I've been offered, but I've also been offered a role in a, in a musical that's, that may come to Broadway. And what do I do? And I said, let's call her Helen. Uh, Helen, you and I remember when you couldn't get arrested. so." Whatever the case, you've been asked. Isn't it wonderful that you are now in a position where two important projects want you? And um, I certainly brought up 110 in the Shade in that context, saying, isn't it wonderful you've been asked? By the way, as it turned out, the production was postponed. And as a result, she was able to do the TV series and the musical. Happy mm-hmm. ending. <laughs> Great. <laughs> So uh, some of our listeners are chiming in here asking a few questions of us. Uh, Paul Whitty wants to know, um, what about Edward Bloom and Big Fish? 
Uh, yeah, that's that's a very good one to bring up because, of course, uh, the, the wonderful thing about Big Fish is that everybody thinks that he's full of what makes the grass grow green. And yet uh, at his funeral, we find out uh, that that isn't quite the case. Yeah, Big Fish is good. And Paul Whitty comes from Wichita, and he certainly saw Big Fish at Music Theater Wichita. Uh, so uh, I'm not surprised he brings that one up. We've talked about uh, ragtime, but what about uh, Nathan and rags? Yeah, yeah. Um, I I was thinking about him, but on the other hand, um, he's uh, very Americanized, and uh, I'm not sure that he's very much interested in the family of yore. So, uh, so that's why I didn't bring him up. What about uh, uh, as much as I'm a big fan of this show, uh, Billy Bigelow and Carousel? Uh, yeah, I thought about Billy as well. You know, who um, uh, who certainly. Um, has good intentions in the soliloquy, uh, the greatest piece of uh, theater that musical theater has ever produced, the soliloquy. But um, he really doesn't quite get the chance to be a father um, through his own uh, stupidity uh, and desperate nature. Um, but uh, I, seriously, he's the last one on my list. Uh, and um, yeah, it, I, I guess we talked a little longer. I, I also didn't get to mention Wilburn Hairspray, who I think is really quite a wonderful guy as well. Um, who the fact that um, he uh, his daughter is scorned by uh, everybody in town does not influence him. Um, he is certainly in love with his daughter and his wife, which is really quite wonderful. So uh, and Maurice from Beauty and the Beast too uh, loves Bell's his father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. And we, uh, yeah, I guess uh, <laughs> um, characteristically, it seems like we, a lot of our choices were golden age era and, uh, you know, immediately following. But there have been a lot of interesting father characters in more recent shows. Uh, some I just wrote down just, just now, uh, Next to Normal. Um, uh-huh. Fun home, of course. Well, one of you the know. <laughs> one of the what? Yes, what's, what's well, your response you know, to that? I mean, I, you know, I, I, yes and no. You know, I, um, uh, but go on. I, I thought about fun home. Believe me, go on. Well, I mean, he's I, I, he's a character. I, you know, yes, he is. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm not discussing his admirability or 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 opposite. Um, Be more chill uh, is a show that that didn't run very long, but that has a very very uh, kind of quirky, interesting father character. Um, the father of the main character who's uh, become a homebody for various reasons to the point where he doesn't wear pants a lot. He walks around in his underwear, and then. Um, Dear Evan Hansen, the, the, the title character is, does not have a father present, but the, uh, the, the young man who kills himself, yeah. uh, his father, that, that's a very, very rich and rewarding role, I think. So there's lots of, I just want to, you know, just point out that, of course, um, recent shows have, have continued to have really interesting father characters. Did I miss uh, e- either of you talking about uh, Fantastics? No. no. Oh, Anthony Janicki brought that up. <laughs> Anthony wants to talk about the fathers in, in the Fantastics. Sure, sure. Yeah, they're, they're smart cookies because, uh, as they point out, they know that if they forbid their kids to fall in love, they'll fall in love. And uh, they're, they're, they really are, uh, they have a, a, a real plan in place. For a while, it looks like it's not a good idea because, of course, the, the boy and the girl um, – 
do decide that they uh, <laughs> they don't want each other. After all, she is only the girl next door. Uh, he, uh, <laughs> the boy says at one point when he goes off to seek his uh, adventures, uh, having felt that he'd been tied down. But yeah, the fathers are, are, are very clever, and they get they get two really good songs. You know, "Never Say No" is quite mm-hmm. wonderful, but uh, "Plant a Radish" is terrific as well. Um, I was recently doing research on the Fantastics, and I didn't realize that Laurie Noto, the producer, had appeared in one playing um, Huckabee, one of the fathers, so many times. He did it over 8,000 times, closer to 9,000, frankly. And um, that really amazed me. Uh, Laurie Noto was famous for keeping the Fantastics open under any costs. And one of the things was that he kept the cost down. My friend Kenneth Cantor, who played El Gallo for a while, uh, said you should watch him going around the theater and shutting out lights in rooms that people weren't in because every little bit count. And that's how he was able to keep it open 42 years. You know, so, you know what I call 8,000 times? What? Half of Felicia. <laughs> no, not quite. <laughs> I was 27 shows away from seeing my 12,000th um, when, uh, when, um, when yes. they were all shut down. 27 away. So, uh, so no, uh, two-thirds, to be fair. Uh, listener Julia <laughs> Green brings up uh, Queen Carney and the Ferryman. Ah, Ah, very good, very yeah. good. Yeah, wow, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Boy, that was that was quite a play. I was thinking of that play the other day. I was I was specifically thinking of uh, um, beyond to uh, I, 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 Flanagan is the woman's last name. The first name I, is it Fiona, uh, something like that. Um, it's a complicated Irish name, I believe. But anyway, um, I uh, I had a good chance to meet her when we were both trying to get soup from the soup Nazi. Um, uh, a, a very unfair uh, appellation, by the way. Uh, the soup Nazi that was became famous through Seinfeld is long gone. He has sold the business, yeah. and the people who work there now are lovely beyond belief. Um, Dan Rubano, great guy. Anyway, but that's where I met her, and I was able to talk to her about um, that. But yes, he was a good father indeed. So, am uh, I uh, remembering correctly? Uh, it, it was uh, the character Queen Carney, the one that uh, Brian Darcy James took over for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Uh, Paul Whitty um, also brings up Harry uh, McAfee and Bye Bye Birdie. And well, uh, you know, I mean, <laughs> I thought about Harry McAfee, and um, and uh, you know, he 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 pretty much. Um, harassed uh, by his uh, kids or, or well, at least his daughter. I mean, his, uh, his son is on his side, but um, uh, there he is uh, railing about kids and watching, as I say, the uh, 70, 71 Tonys last night, um, Dick Van Dyke, of course, um, wasn't much interested in uh, Broadway after he left it. So he didn't come back. To, it was, I'm, I'm not being clear. It was the 25th anniversary show and it was a retrospective of a number from each of the shows that had won Best Musical. They cheated by putting Mame in there because Angela Lansbury was one of the hosts. So um, they uh, had her uh, sing Open a New Window, even though Mame didn't win. Uh, the best musical Tony Mano La Mancha did that year and Kylie did impossible dream of course. But anyway, uh, there was um, Paul Lynn singing kids on that um, uh, broadcast. And uh, <laughs> I, it seems that he does have much tolerance for kids. So as a result, uh, I didn't put him on my list, but, uh, but he certainly qualifies as a memorable father character from right. a musical. Uh, we certainly uh, remember him and um, that is a, a fun song. And, you know, I don't know if you know, but that song actually got a pop recording at the time. I, I, I think it was by the Kirby Stone 4, but I don't really remember. But I remember hearing that on the radio long before I knew there was such a thing as Bye Bye Birdie. 
He <laughs> is a great choice um, as a comic character, and the and the guys from Fantastics are a really good choice because um, they they're among the fathers who actually sing about fatherhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I mean, really, right. both of those songs yeah, are essentially yeah, about that's right. fatherhood. That's right. You know? That's right. Oh, and here's a wonder, just a wonderful little parenthetical thing. I have a friend um, who worked on the original production of Fantastics for years. Um, in the, you know, I mean, the, the, the latter half of the run, I guess, mm-hmm. but, but mm-hmm. still for years. And uh, he, um, he lives close by. And so I, I, I saw him not long ago. And uh, he said, I have something for you. And he gave me um, a tile from the stage floor. Uh, I remember that tile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, um, it, it was pretty uh, evident because there was so little on it, you know. Uh, the, the show is so simple and I, I just, it's just a sweet little thing that I got recently that I'm going to cherish because obviously that's musical theater history. Mm-hmm. That theater, the theater is not there anymore. The show is not there anymore. Uh, yeah. I didn't get to that theater until 1980. So the show had been 20 years old at that point. Mm. And it was still such a mystical experience to know this is exactly where it was. If the show had moved, it wouldn't mean as much um, mm. because you were, you were in the place where Jerry Orbach came on that stage and introduced Try to Remember, which became a standard. And um, it, that was so wonderful about it. There was still the mystical feeling about that place that you were seeing where it really began with no hope of succeeding whatsoever. I mean, nobody knew anybody in it. And uh, who were these guys who wrote this first musical? And who was this Laurie Noto who um, didn't have a history with the theater? And good Lord. Um, and I remember Tom Jones telling me that he really thought they were sunk when Walter Kerr came in with his wife, Jean Kerr, and she was chewing gum. And she took the gum out and tore the front page off the program and put the gum in the front page of the program. Um, and, you know, it was such a metaphor that, uh, you know, critics are, are said to rip the show to shreds. And here she was ripping the program to shred to accommodate her gum. Um, so uh, also, I wonder if Tom Jones knew a very famous statement that uh, Jean Kerr made. She might have made it many years later. But uh, she said, when I am asked to bring my imagination to some, a production, I bring a book to read because I know I'm not going to be interested. And of course, the Fantastics, especially back then, relied on bringing your imagination to things that uh, confetti uh, had to be snow. And when day turned to night, uh, a, a wooden circle turned from yellow to uh, a darker color. So um, I don't know if he knew that expression then. I don't know when Jean Kerr said it, but um, she wasn't one for uh, that type of imagination. So, uh, and, um, you know, who knows how much she influenced her husband? Probably not at all, but you never know. Okay, so let's uh, wrap it up for this morning. Before we go, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayvideo.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us on Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to listen to us iHeartRadio places, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to finer podcasts, you're going to be able to find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com, as well as links to some of the things that we've talked about this morning. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. 
Bye. Bye. You're the one who said they could when the child who's still inside me finds a song in empty dad grew old, his hands grew numb, and now he cannot play. I came to visit, he sat and asked me how it could be this way. I couldn't find an answer. I played this tune for him instead My father sat there smiling For he knew Every day your heart is beating